City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. Um, John 17, we'll be going through verses 1 through 12 this morning. And there's a Scottish reformer named John Knox who, who actually had this passage read to him on his deathbed because he called it the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. He called it the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. There's moments in Scripture, like at the beginning of Genesis 1, when, as I said earlier, uh, God says to the Trinity, let's make man in our image, this this kind of Trinitarian moment that the scriptures allows us access into where it's not a third party representative. It's just the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God speaking within itself in an uninterrupted way. There's very few and far between moments like this. Another moment like this would be in Matthew 3. You'd find when Jesus emerges out of the waters of baptism, it says the heavens were rent open and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. And you hear the Father's voice, not just to the Son or to the Spirit, but to the public gathered that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And in this moment, which is Jesus' longest public prayer, we actually get an opportunity at an uninterrupted, unmitigated, unfiltered conversation of the Trinity. This is the this is the, like, in every other circumstance, Jesus would have to explain to somebody or, or conflict, have conflict with somebody that's contrarian to what he's saying. But in this scripture, we see a precious opportunity, a precious glimpse into what uninterrupted intimacy looks like within the Trinity. It's really powerful. Lots of thick revelation into this passage. It's, it's what, I, what, what, what the Scottish Reformer calls the Holy of Holies, the place of uninterrupted conversation between the Son and the Father. So it says in verse 1, Jesus looks up to his Father in heaven, and he prays this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So in this passage, what we're going to be seeing is that Jesus is checking in with the Father for this kind of evaluation, the way that you would come in at the end of a year for a report to your boss or your manager and say, look, how, how did I do? Did I succeed? Did I meet my goals? Did I meet my quota? And of course, Jesus and the, and the Father are never separate. So there's always uninterrupted intimacy, as I said before, uninterrupted approval. But when we think about the seat that Jesus sits in in this prayer, it's not just like, did I get my job done? It's not a, 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 a manager to an employee. It's a son to a father. That feeling, it's a little bit different, right? When you turn in your test to a teacher versus when you give your report card to your father, there's more strings attached. There's more meaning in the, in the, in the conversation. There, there's this kind of, did I, not just did I fulfill my role as a student, it's did I fulfill my role as a son? That's, that's a deeper, heavier moment, right? So he comes before the father in this kind of evaluative sense, and he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you that you granted him authority over all people. I mean, think about that, right? Like if you do your job right and you, you promote it and you move your way up the ranks, like you might be a district supervisor at Starbucks or 
you know, you might have offices in the Tri-County area or in different Southeast regions, and some people are national and global representatives, but, but Jesus literally was so, so high and had so much authority that he was over and responsible for and delegated like responsibility and authority over every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every man, woman, and child, future, past, and present. This is the authority of Jesus' domain. That's a, that's a heavy burden to put on your shoulders, is it not? Every tribe and every tongue is under Jesus' authority. And then he says, not only is the authority wide as the earth, as wide as the globe can represent, the level of expectation is no less than this, that I might give them eternal life. Talk about being all things to all people. <laughs> eternal life is not only quantitatively measuring no end and no beginning to, to, to be alive and eternally, but it's a qualitative measurement. The Jews would call this eternal life, probably the closest thing is shalom. The harmony and the balance, the joy, the peace, the safety, the comfort, the, 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 the purity and the trueness of, of a human being. This was Jesus' authority and dominion to, to offer life abundant to every man, woman, and child. This was his job. This is his responsibility he's checking in with. And he says, now this is eternal life, and this is what it is that I offered them. No more, no less, that they would know you. Know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing this work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence and glorify it with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus is coming to the Father, and he's essentially saying that eternal life, the thing that he says, it's like he's saying, I've met so many people, I've met so many different types of people, and they're all looking for something. I mean, everybody's looking for something. They're looking for a, 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 a raise, they're looking for a healing, they're looking for hope, they're looking for comfort. But ultimately, what I've really found is this, is that they're all looking for this kind of eternal life, and, and they're not going to find it apart from you. There's four different types of no in the Greek. There's the type of no that would get you past a true or false question um, on a test. Some people would know the material enough that they'd be able to write a short answer. Some people have a PhD in the material. They know it intimately, and they can apply it in almost all different ways. But this level of no is beyond a multiple-choice test. This level of no, gnosko, is the type of no you would use between a husband and a wife, an intimate connection to the Father. This is what it would mean to know this is the eternal life that I've offered them. And he says, and I've done it successfully. I've revealed, verse six, I've revealed who you are, not just by telling. Jesus, as we talk about, is perfect theology. He's a show and he's a tell. There's nothing that the Father said that Jesus didn't say. There's nothing the Father did that Jesus didn't do. He is the perfect, perfect and unlacking representation of God here on the earth. He represented who God was. He was a show and a tell. And he, and he succeeded. He said, I, I didn't leave any word unspoken. I didn't leave any deed undone. They were yours, he says. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words and you gave me and they accepted them and they knew with clarity that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Nicodemus had a conversation one time with Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus says to him, did you know that only flesh can give flesh to give birth to flesh, but only spirit can give birth to spirit? That Chinese people can only give birth to Chinese people, 
And African-Americans can give birth to African-Americans and white people can give, and, and, and people can give birth to people, but only, only spirit can give birth to spirit. There's a moment in time when I remember when Rose was born, it was the most awe-inspiring sound I'd ever heard. They, we went to the, 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 the doctor and, and they had the little machine and they put the little thing on, on, on Kyra's belly and it was the whoosh, 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 whoosh. It was the heartbeat of life. He says, nobody obeys unless they've been born again. We don't have a heartbeat unless there's been a, a, a spirit interaction. There were things that were dead on this earth. In fact, everything was dead. Everything was, was separated from me. Nothing had life. Nobody obeyed God, but now they believe and they obey you. I had authority over all of the earth. I had big shoulders that I had to cast burdens upon my shoulders that people, all people would know you and, and, and be connected to you and know eternal life and deeply be connected. And then because they knew who you were, they would be alive in you. And he said, today, we've, we've got a heartbeat. We got life. We've got disciples. We've got followers. And then he says this prayer, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. Covenantal language. The Jews would have understood that. All I have is yours and all I have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. My dad's name is Wong Kim Chow and my name is Wong Leon. It means uh, if you can have safety for people, you'll have peace. That's what my name means. Um, and because my dad and I lived in two separate places, me living in kind of Albany, New York, and eventually in Indiana, and my dad living in Hong Kong, we would visit each other on kind of smaller term basis. And we traveled a lot. Like when we were young, my dad would do small quantities of time, but he would really make it out to be high quality time with me. And so we would travel to, I mean, anywhere on the globe, you could spin it and find places. I mean, we traveled to Scotland and Thailand and France and Macau and Hong Kong and Japan. I mean, we'd just been everywhere together. And he would, he would make sure that the quality of time that we have he would, he would invest into it fully to be a high level of quantity. And something that I grew to respect and love about that time, and now even more so, and you can probably relate to me in, in appreciation, was the kind of father-son talks that you'd have along the way. Every, every winter, my birthday's in January, for about four years in a row, kind of like around that rite of passage when I grew into becoming, you know, 2021, around the time when me and Kyra got married, we would always go to Chicago and we would wake up at five or six in the morning and go and share a French press at Starbucks and just talk about whatever was on our hearts. And I, I grew to appreciate, like, you know, the saying, like, my father probably didn't always know best, but he always knew more than me. And he always had a way of just giving me a perspective about things that mattered in that moment an authority line that even if 10 other people said something different, he would be able to give me a leveled sobriety, an answer to questions that, I, that were on my heart, or maybe even bring up the question I didn't even know was there. I remember one time I called him, and I'm ready to just like call it quits on teaching. I mean, I'm in the public school system in 21. It's my first year, and I've got you know government econ all the way to APUS history, and, and, and I'm just like, Dad, I can't do it. I've just got to quit. And I literally was ready to just pull the plug on this thing. And I remember all my dad had to say, I remember it clear as day, and you can remember phrases like this from your dad, right? He just said, he said, Oliver, listen, you gotta understand, there's always a way. There's always a way. And I just, there were so many other voices around me and, and ways that I could argue my way into quitting this job, which I ultimately did it. And all it took for him is to speak authoritatively. He said, Oliver, there's always a way. 
There's always a way. If there's a will, there's a way. And you can, you can find the way. If, if, if you want to find it, you can be a teacher. The question isn't like, you know, can you be a teacher? The question is, do you want to be a teacher? Because you can if you want to. There's always a way. There's always a way. That's what he told me. And I remember we got into other conversations like, you know, between the, as, the, as we went, as we, as we did life, I remember we got into a conversation about his sleeping habits because he's kind of like Kramer. He would take like 15-minute naps during the day and stay up from like, you know, three until four, until five, until six. And, and part of that he just revels in because he's a professor and he just enjoys being able to set his own hours and do what he wants to do. But he says, Oliver, this is what you have to understand. You're not created like anybody else and you have to figure out how you do your work. You have to figure out your rhythm. You have to figure out your way. You have to figure out, you can imitate for a while, but eventually your purpose is not to be an imitation. You're an innovation and you have to figure out your way. So who are you in the world and what are you gonna do and how are you gonna get to the place that you're supposed to be? That's the kind of question that only fathers can ask you, right? I remember one time, and this will always stick with me. I mean, it's like the loudest thing that I can hear in, in my soul and my spirit, my father saying this to me. He said, you know, everybody has their own gift and, and Michael Jordan can dunk from the free throw line and Bruce Lee can break all these boards. And he says, but I think I know what your gift is. And I said, he looked at me. I said, of course, I wanna know. And he said, have heaven and earth stand still, right in my mind as a son looks at the dad. Even at 30, he says, your gift is your, your family. You're good at family. You can do that. Fathers can speak deeply, can't they? We remember the things that our fathers say. We don't only remember them, we carry them with us everywhere we go, for better or for worse. We carry our father's words with us. We can remember our father's compliments. I guarantee you, if your father has ever said, if you know your father, if your father has said something to you or a father figure has said something positive about what you've done or who you are, I guarantee you could call, recall that as, as quick as anything in your memory. The feeling of, of a father's correction when you were headed a certain way and your father re-corrected you, you know, course-corrected you back towards a path and the feeling of, of goodness that that brought when your father, I guarantee you, you can remember, we carry with us our father's especially affirmation or, 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 or criticism in, in some cases. Our fathers can, can speak into these deep places and they can hurt us more than almost anybody can hurt us because they speak into these deep places. And, and so our, our, our fathers, you know, one of the things I think I could almost say just in this conversation before we head back into the scripture is this, this kind of commencement to you, probably one of the most important things, like we could all call out easily the flaws of our fathers, the brokenness of our fathers, because we know them more than almost anyone else knows them. We know them up close. We know them personally. And maybe one of the best ministries that we can do for ourselves and our children's 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 children is just learn how to forgive our fathers in that place. Learn how to, to choose the best out of our fathers. Learn how to honor them as the great commandments tells us to do. Learn how to bless them and not curse them. There's something powerful in that ministry. There's something powerful in that position in all of our lives. And Jesus had an earthly father. And Jesus always walked in wholeness and forgiveness. And the secret of Jesus' life and walking in perfect power and perfect forgiveness was the beginning of John 17, 1. It says this, that Jesus, in his prayer, he looked up to heaven as he prayed. This, I believe, is the secret of how Jesus walked perfectly in his identity as he continually took his affirmation, his correction, his truth, his lines of authority directly from his heavenly father. Jesus had a father named Joseph. 
It wasn't even his bloodline because he wasn't made of earthly bloodline, but Jesus had his father, respected his earthly father, learned how to be a carpenter with his father, but ultimately his direction, his his ultimate kind of evaluation, as we spoke about early, didn't come before Joseph. His ultimate evaluation came before his heavenly father. And this is the, this is the, this is the way that, that Jesus leads us in, in humanity. Jesus leads us in how to walk on this earth. So this is the conversation that we see Jesus having in this high priestly, holy of holies conversation with his father. Uh, verse two, I believe. He says, Father, the hour, this is verse one, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. That word glorify in heaven at this point in time, glorify would have actually been kind of like a code word because glorify in this sense of the word means to be crucified. Some of you guys watch the, um, the show This Is Us. It's Kyra and my favorite show right now. And they actually had a code name for the show when Jack Pearson dies. The code name for the script was The Marble. Because if anybody figured out what the name of the episode was, everybody would have been swarming and trying to figure out and kind of break it out on BuzzFeed. So they copied all the papers in red so that nobody could photocopy it. And they, coded, they had a code name for this episode of Jack's death called The Marble. And heaven's code name for Jesus uh, going to the cross on Calvary was, was called glorify. That's cool, right? Because essentially what it's saying is that in heaven there would be a dictionary. John Piper says that, that glory is simply holiness made public. And the way that Steve Jobs would come out behind the curtain, behind the veil, and show us the iPhone, and we'd all ooh and ah. Heaven goes public with its best in Jesus. And in the dictionary of heaven, if you want to ask heaven what glory looks like, they'd say, look at the cross. And that's good news that, that, the, that the heaven that presides in authority over who we are and what this earth is all about it puts its dictionary definition on the cross and says, this is the utmost for the greatest of heaven right here on this hill in Calvary. If you know what heaven's about, look at the cross. It's, it's, it's love laid down for sinners. It's, it's the highest of highs, the most glorious of people laying his life down freely for all to come. This is, the, this is what heaven, the culture of heaven is all about. This is a powerful revelation. Glorify me, he says. And then he says uh, in verse two, he says, life is knowing, uh, eternal life is knowing you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they will know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, that everyone that I've ever met has actually been looking for what I've been trying to give them. Everyone's asking for something. Everyone needs something. Everyone is looking for a healing or a promotion or everyone's looking for an answer to a question. And what I have found is that no question and no need ever finds its rest in any place other than you. In other words, heaven, when we die and we go to a place called heaven in the sky, that heaven won't be heaven without him there because heaven is simply the extension of his presence. He is the eternal life. To know him, to walk with him, that's what people are looking for. You know, they did a survey of people in the world and they asked um, everybody how much more money they'd like to make on their paycheck. And, and pretty much categorically, everybody said about 25% more money. So whatever that is, like anyone from, you know, Mark Cuban, who makes $3.6 billion a year all the way to me, like we all have this itching urge that if we just had a little bit more, we would have peace. And everybody wants something a little bit more, not even just monetarily, right? Relationally and respect and, 
you know, peace and joy. We just all want a little bit more happiness. And, and he's saying essentially that every time that, that somebody goes and buys a new yacht, they're really just looking for me. They're just looking for a little bit more satisfaction, a little bit more of a high. Every time somebody goes and, you know, drinks alcohol, every time that somebody goes and meets up with a sexy stranger, like they're just looking for me. There's millionaires in the world that they would give any amount of money if they could just have a little peace, which they can only get from me. Eternal life, the thing that everyone's scratching at the surface to get, rich or poor, far or near from God, they're all looking for me. Every person that worked, you know, that's the great Spurgeon quote, is every person that's ever walked into the doors of a brothel is looking for God. They need me. That's, that's what they're looking for. And he says, so, so, so the great responsibility of, of having all men and all women find their eternal life actually wasn't that hard because all I had to do is reveal who you were to them and they'd find it right there on the spot. There wouldn't be another step beyond revealing the Father. As soon as you could see a picture of your Father, to know Him is to love Him and to love Him is to draw near to Him and to draw near to Him is to be one with Him. And in that oneness, we discover all the things we ever wanted in eternal life. All I had to do is reveal you. All they needed was a glimpse. All they needed was a picture, a taste, a touch, that you are good. And then verses four through six, I'll read those. For I have brought you glory to earth by finishing the work you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence as I had with you before the world began. They're gonna come home. They're gonna know you like I know you. Back before, back when the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth, back before creation, back before sin, when it was just Jesus, when it was just the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, an uninterrupted intimacy, they're going to know you like that. And I'm just going to, I'm returning home to you, but I'm not coming home alone because I'm bringing children back to me, back to your table, Father. And I've revealed this revelation, the revelation that science and nature and history and speculation can't reveal is that you are a father. I did a little research this week of the Muslim faith. The Quran has 99 names for God. 10 of them are on the screen right here. The Muslim faith understands that God is the most gracious, the most merciful, the King of kings, the most holy, the ultimate provider of peace, the guarant blessing, the guardian, the preserver, the almighty, the self-sufficient, the powerful, the greatest, and, and 89 other words that go beneath the list on Wikipedia. But you know the one word that doesn't appear on that list? Father. You know what word doesn't make sense in, in the Jewish faith without Jesus? Abraham's our father. We don't know who you are. And all the speculation in the greatest, most sophisticated theology apart from the Son, we don't understand the revelation of who God is, which is He is above every other thing. He's a father who created this planet for his family. We were conceived in love and all the things that we have, all the best gifts and all the inheritances that we own are relationally tied to an understanding of becoming our father's son again. That's what this whole story is about. And so there's a lot of speculation and this gets a little bit into Oliverology. So I'll give you that bookend real quick. But there's a lot of speculation about this phrase. You know, they say, well, you know, they don't say loving, loving, loving in heaven. They say holy, 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 which means set apart, set apart, set apart. But this is my question for us just to consider today with the Holy Spirit. Consider the source 
in heaven, in Revelation, in that book, in Revelation 4 and other places, holy, holy, holy doesn't come from the mouths of men. It comes from the mouth of angels. And we are not seated below angels. Angels are not men. And Jesus didn't come to die so that angels can know him. He came so that sons can know him. And when he opened up the, 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 the intimacy room of prayer and he teaches the disciples how to pray, the second word that comes out of his mouth isn't our king, our general, our master, our teacher, our guardian, our provider. It's our father. This is the highest revelation that I can see and understand from my own study, and I'll give it back to you to study on your own. The highest understanding, the one that we couldn't understand with our own reason, without Jesus, without the revelation of Jesus, the only revelation that allows us to come back to full life is to understand him as a father, and we can't understand it without the son. We're becoming our father's son again. He's a father. Did you know that God, your father, your creator, has hands? And he gave you hands so you'd look like him. That's not what a factory does. Factories make cogs. But if we're created and we look like the one that we're created for, that's a father creator. That's not just a, that's not a scientist or a chemist. That's a father who, who we have eyes like the father. We have a heart like the father. We, you know, God has emotions. God's not just a stoic, deist God. He has thoughts and he has emotions. He's happy and sad as the pages turn in the story like us. He's a father. The things that we have, it's what it says in John 3.16, that he so loved the world that we would not just get eternal life in some types of transaction. What's that word? That we would inherit eternal life so that it couldn't be taken away. That's the father language. This is the revelation that we can't understand without the son that God is a father. So I'm in uh, Starbucks the other day preparing for this message. And um, I'm like, oh, that's cute, Lord, because... I'm sitting there, it's the old Starbucks in Simpsonville, the different little rooms, you can kind of introvert. That's the introvert Starbucks. Man, that one on Woodruff Road, it's just extroverted. Everybody's talking. I just want my own space, just leave me alone. So I'm like in the corner, and I'm like, oh, that's real cute, Lord. Because right, I come in, and it's five empty seats, and then this, two, this father and son, uh, Latin American, they're speaking Spanish, and they seem like they're working on the same crew, and they're just talking, talking about life, laughing about stuff, really getting, you know, you could tell that hearts were being bared there. It wasn't just a a friend conversation, the father and son. Oh, that's cute, Lord, because the name of my talk is the father-son talk. I was like, oh, that's nice. Then he really turned up the, the volume. So uh, the Lord speaks to me in these ways sometimes. So, so the father and the son, they leave, right? And next come in these three young girls. And, um, and so I'm, I'm typing away in my little Mac. And, and I'm realizing, like, they're not talking. I don't hear anything. And I look up, and they're all talking in sign language. Like this. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there, and then all of a sudden it just it just this wave of emotion hits me. They they start laughing about something, and you know, like the syllables that come out when we're doing hearing impaired and doing sign language is different from you know you and I because we're we've formulated our 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 speech in certain ways based on hearing and listening and all that sort of thing. But but this but the emotions were still the same. And so although I couldn't understand what they're saying, I could still connect and like understand one of them was laughing and one of them was like excited about something and they're going crazy. And I was like, oh man, I wish I could speak sign language and, and understand. And, and I just I just felt the Lord's presence because I felt like he was just saying to me right then and there, like, you know, love will always find a way to communicate itself. Like you could go to any corner of the world in any language or, or you could have any sort of disposition on somebody like a, like a hearing impaired or deaf or blind and, and love will find a way to get its meaning across to somebody. That's what love will do. Like a parent, when they have kids, if you ever have 
you know, a child or if you know somebody that has a child that's hearing impaired, like they typically very quickly will like learn sign language because there's no way that that mom's going to go through it without being able to communicate to their child. Love will find a way. And I felt like the Lord was just speaking to me as I was doing this study this, for this Sunday, like Jesus is my sign language to the deaf world. Like he's saying, in a world where there was a deafness and a dumbness and a misunderstanding of who I was, I didn't just sit up in the clouds and shout down at him. I showed them who I was through my son so that you didn't have to look any further or any deeper, any wider or any book or seance or meditation. All you had to do is you could look at the perfect representation, the word become flesh in my son, and you would know exactly who I am. I was the one with the woman at the well. I was the one who fed the 5,000. I was the one who walked on water. There are seven signs, as a matter of fact, in the book of John, seven distinct signs from the changing of the water at Cana all the way to the raising of Lazarus. And as I spoke, kind of inferred before, these seven signs are meant to show kind of like a new work. My father and me, we have been working since the beginning of time, and this new work is continuing on from then until now, not to bring the old creation, but to make a new creation, seven days to create the first creation, and seven days to inaugurate this new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. This is what he's doing in the scripture. And those seven miracles, those seven miracles all point back to helping us understand revelation about the maker of that miracle. And there's seven, seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But there's another sign, the greatest sign to bring the new creation, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The greatest sign, which I felt like he was speaking to me that day at Starbucks, is like, I sent you my son so you could have the revelation of I am a father. That's the greatest revelation. That's the truest, purest, unmitigated revelation of what heaven is saying about the one that made you. He is a father and you are his child. You are a son. You are a daughter. You, are, you, are, you belong with him. You belong to him. He is covenanted. That's the language that he uses is that everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. And there is no more any space between you and I because you are my son and you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. So this passage of covenant is really my point today. And then I want to take some time. It's, it just made it my assignment this morning to preach the gospel. Can I do that? I think it's going to be a good idea. But um, I just feel like we oftentimes, Timothy brought this up in the parable of the, of the, of the um, prodigal son, but we fight for things we already have. I think there's lots of takeaways from understanding he's a father, but one of the things I think we could walk away with is we fight for things we already have. Um, there's this moment at the end of the story of the prodigal son when the older son sees the return of the prodigal son and all the fanfare and party, and there's a spirit of bitterness and jealousy that comes upon the older brother, and he has this conversation with the father, how come you never killed the fattened calf for me? That I've been here in this obedient place, and I've been doing all these things, and I've been trying, and I've been staying close to you, and I've been participating the way that I thought I was supposed to participate, and here comes the son out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you're throwing a bigger party. Where's my party? And the father looks at him, and he says one of my favorite passages in the whole, all of Scripture. He says, Son, didn't you know I've always been with you? And didn't you know that everything I have is yours? I was at the Overcomers the other night. Uh, I celebrated it. I um, 
probably two weeks ago when, when we went out to do it, and some of the small groups came and made sandwiches for this Overcomer celebration. Overcomers is an um, extension of Miracle Hill Ministries that celebrates the graduation of people that have gone into substance abuse and kind of come out of it through the power of Jesus. I remember sitting there, and I mean, I told Kyra, it was just an ego-free zone. I mean, there's just no room for pride, and there's really no room for basically anything else except for just God and the kingdom of his, and, and his power. And uh, I remember I'm sitting there, and here come these guys, and they're, dun, 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 and they're singing these old-timey hymns. Dun, 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 dun. It reminded me of, like, you know, the, the, the pirates on Captain Hook's ship. It's all baritone. There's, like, no soprano. There's nothing else. I mean, they're just like, from the grave he rose. And he's, they're singing these songs. And it's, but, you know, it's like this emotion behind the song. You know, you could actually read hymns and sing old songs in new ways and actually have them become current and relevant again. It's not, religiousness is not the age of expiration date on a, thing, on a thing. It's the heart behind it of how we participate in the meal or the song or whatever it is that we're participating in. And they were singing it from this place of power and sonship. And, and at the end, they had like these guys that like, so they come up and they celebrate. Each one of them share their story for about 10 minutes and they talk about all of them. It's basically 10 different, 12 different stories, but one message. And it's just that, only God can change it. Only God can do it. Like I've been down the bottom of the barrel. I've been to the, to, the, to the ends of the earth and I know that the only one that can rescue me from the deepest, darkest places, it's only the power of the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is the only name that has enough power that can help me to overcome the, this life and, this vic, and, this, and, and, and some of these afflictions. And so they have these guys standing up and then they have this moment. And I'll never forget, they had these guys, they stand up and he says, and this is the recruiting class of the people that might be joining us. And they're kind of just deciding whether or not they want to be part of this ministry or not. And you could see the distance between the front of the stage and the back. It was like, you know, maybe from here to back there. But the distance spiritually felt like a chasm. I mean, it felt like, theologically, as we talk about the doctrine of sin, it felt like I can't get there. I know me. I mean, I know them and I know this and it seems like God's here, but I don't, I don't know if God knows that for me though. And I don't know if I can make it up to that stage. And there's this gap of like, I don't know if I can, I can get there or not. But my takeaway was simply this. I just, I just thought to myself as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, man, there's people in this room a heck of a lot richer than I am. Sometimes it takes a poverty, a literal physical poverty, if you come to the end of yourself and recognize a spiritual inheritance, there's millionaires that would pay millions of dollars to have what they had in that moment. Place of home, just a little peace, just some friends that actually love you, just some care. That's the inheritance. That's what he says, this is what you have. This is what you have for free. And I was watching this documentary, The Son of Man, and this phrase I just stuck out to me. He said, it's like when we're, when we're going after the things of this earth, and we, but at the same time in heaven, we have this inheritance that's greater than anything we could ever have on earth. It's like having a million dollars in your backpack and like straining forward to try and pick up a quarter on the street. He says, don't you know that everything that I have is yours? Don't you know that everything you ever wanted is in me? The things that actually matter and last, the things that will actually give you peace and comfort, they're only found in me. So this is my gospel message. There's a lot of people excited um, in the nation right now, you know, about, about, about Billy Graham and celebrating the life of Billy Graham. But I, I just wonder, as I'm watching some of the funeral processions, like people celebrating Billy Graham, but I wonder if the church and if the world celebrates what Billy Graham stood for and what he said and what his message was. Because Billy Graham represents essentially the clear and the honest and the unmitigated truth of the gospel. 
That's what Billy Graham did to this nation. He wasn't just a father figure or a patriarch or somebody that everybody enjoyed the soothing sound of his voice. The reason why Billy Graham did what he did is because he preached the uncompromising and unapologetic message of the gospel, which in this contest is simply this. I think we need it every single day. And that is, first and foremost, that eternal life is only in the Father. That the things that we want, the things that we pine after, the things that we strain for to try and get, they're actually already ours. That's the great lie of the century, the great, the great lie of our era and our age is that somewhere with a little bit more, with that 25% more of whatever it is that we are looking for, attention and approval, like whatever it is that we want, that 25% more itch is actually a myth that distracts us from everything that we already have. Joy is yours, he says. It's free. Peace, righteousness, the things that million dollar, millionaires would pay a million dollars for, they're already yours. Didn't you know that I've always been with you? But here's the most important part of the gospel is that you can't have eternal life without the Father, but the truth is that you also, you can't have the Father without the Son. And I just wonder sometimes in our era, in our church, we can make a lot of commotion about the importance of the revelation of Father to tell people, hey, you're, you're created with a purpose and you have a destiny and God's your Father and he wants to know you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But here's what Jesus says, and here's ultimately what I believe is in the heart of every Billy Graham message, is that there's no way to the Father except through the Son. So John 10, Jesus paints this picture. He says there's this pasture and and there's this gate around that pasture and inside that pasture, the sheep, this is us, relate to the father as a shepherd and the shepherd knows them and calls them and speaks to them. It's, it's, It's the picture of God as father that he cares for us with everything that he has. But this is what he says. But there's, there, there's only one way to access into that and that is through the way of the gate. It's the way of the cross. He says that any time that we try and access, sometimes I think we just kind of TED talk our way into this and we can talk about like, it's the love of the father and you have to have belonging and you gotta be vulnerable and you know you just have to have a community and share your burdens with one another. It's like this kind of quasi mixed message of what the gospel is. That's all real and, and those are all God-shaped heartaches that we all have, that we long for community and long for blessing and long for a father's inheritance. But the truth of the gospel and the scripture is that we have no access way into that point except the power of the name of Jesus. There's only one way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone that tries to get into the father's presence by way of meditation or journaling or whatever other way that we try and access shalom or oneness or you know, nirvana or whatever it is. Anytime we try and access anyone that tries to climb the gate another way other than Jesus is a thief and a robber. There's only one way through the cross and we never graduate from it. We come in and we come out by the power of Jesus, the healings that we experience, the love, the forgiveness, any type of inheritance, any goodness, any good gift that comes from the Father has to pass away through the Son because we don't know the Father without knowing the Son. There's only one access point. There's only one road home. We're all looking for something. And all those things ultimately find their place in the Father, but the only road to that place is through the Son. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the cross. We come in the humble way. We come in the poor in spirit way. We come in in the needy way. We, come, we can't come into the Father boasting like he's our partner in destiny, that he's going to give us our dreams and make them come true. We have to come in through the way of the Son. Not my will, your will. That's the way of the Son. The way of the Son is, you're going to get glorified, not me. That's the way of the Son. The way of the Son is, everything you have is mine, but guess what? Everything I have is yours. That's the way of the Son. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Um, I would love for us to just stand and close um, and respond today in prayer. And uh, we'll also um, worship as well. But the reality is, is that no matter where you are, we all need just the message of the gospel. We need access to the Father by the way of, of the Son. And I'm just going to pray that blessing over us as we close today. And Timothy's going to lead us in response. But uh, Father, we belong to you. Your words, they give us identity. And as we walk in those words, we just carry uh, a place of home with us. If we were allowed to, to allow your words to matter more to us than the words of our, our spouse, our boss, our friends, we would, we would inherit a type of life that would start now, not just at heaven. And we thank you for your words. We thank you that we're sheep that are able to hear your voice today. We thank you, God, that, um, that you've always included us and there's always been a seat at the table. We thank you you've named us and not only numbered us. We thank you, God, that you, you know the number of, of hairs on our head. You sing over us with identity and purpose and belonging. You've called us to be sons and daughters. And I thank you that you have provided the way home through the road of your son, Jesus. If you're here today and you might not know everything there is about your spiritual journey or the mystery of what you think of when you think of God, and maybe you've only heard just this sermon, you've heard a little bit about maybe Jesus healing somebody or Jesus representing the Father. If you know the name of Jesus, I want to tell you today, wherever you are, you know enough. You already have the key. And just in 25, 30 minutes of us having this conversation, I really believe that the scriptures and the spirit have already equipped you to have everything that you've ever needed in God, your father. I really believe it because it's not what you know or this theological premise that you're going to come to this discovery. It's simply a gift of faith that tells you somewhere in your heart, I just, that's the way the Holy Spirit operates. He tells you somewhere in your heart that you're not home yet and the only way to get home is Jesus. And so my imploring to you today, wherever you are, is to call on the name that he's given you to come home with and not to fight and struggle and try and find additional things to help you come home. The only road home is Jesus. So I give you that name and we as a family would proclaim that name to you today, whoever you are and wherever you are, that all you need to know is the name of Jesus because anything that Jesus has said in the red letters of that Bible is in complete agreement and accordance with what your father, the creator at the beginning of time, created you for. So you already got the road. 
So all you got to do is take a step. But I just give you that name. It's the only name under heaven which has power to heal and offer you forgiveness and offer you peace and righteousness and joy and everything that you ever need. And here's the good news. He offers it to you for free. And I want you to remember, if there's anything you remember from this message, it's just this, the name of Jesus. It has power. We thank you for that name. We put worth and wealth on that name. We know it's the way home. We love you, Jesus, and we're trusting you to lead us where we couldn't go without you. Amen.